Good evening. I bet those people who went to St. Bernard's Village had a great service today. <laughs> I was sitting on a recliner watching a football game when Terry called at about 4.15. Actually, he called before that, and my, I'm still on silent from this morning, and so I called him back when I saw it. He said, where should you be? And I said, watching the Chiefs just kill this team, the Raiders. He said, I'm at St. Bernard's Village. I said, oh, man, I totally forgot. And it's his birthday. He shouldn't have to preach on his birthday. Anyway, I, I just totally missed it. And for so those of you who went, I heard it was great. And, and they all said the preacher at Valley View is great today. Uh, anyway, so I was, I, I just, I don't know. That's one of those weird things that happens. And I, 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 I'll make it up to him. I'll make it up to him. But it's also Becky Mohan's birthday, also Pat Michener's birthday. I don't know if it's anybody else's, but so it's a good day for Valley View people. I'm grateful that you're here this evening. Exodus chapter 35 is the text. You'll make your way there. We're going to be there, and uh, how many just have this weird feeling about anybody who leads singing from off a cell phone? Anybody that, that, that just looks weird? No songbook, not looking at, looking at this little, I, I don't know. Anyway, uh, I, I just got to get used to millennials. Exodus chapter 35, you had to know it was coming. I was going to do something by this title at some time, and I picked a Sunday when Mitchell's gone. Whew. I don't have to hear him bellow about this. We do have a big group that's at Corning tonight. I think that's something we acknowledge and we are really proud of, our young people going out different places. I know I preached at Success Arkansas. Anybody know where Success is? Yeah, Success Arkansas. I preached there a few years. And uh, I know that they suspended their worship service to go watch our young people at Corning. And so they have a, a pretty good crowd watching or, or, or worshiping with our, our young people leading. And I think that's a wonderful thing. And that's where a lot of our folks are, and we celebrate that. That's a great thing. A sermon by the title of There's a Stirring. Now, what do you think a sermon is going to be about when There's a Stirring is the title? I got to think about this song because so much about that song makes me think that it's totally out of context when we sing it. And so, uh, so I decided, wh where did this song come from? Annie Herring is the author. She wrote it when she was 44 years old. When she turned 25, or right before, around that time, she was married and her parents died, and she had a couple siblings still young that she took those siblings and raised them the rest of the way. And they were all very vocal in the sense of singing. And they formed a contemporary Christian group called the Second Chapter of Acts. I remember those from a few years ago. And for about 20 years, they toured the country in the Christian music circuit, and then they retired. And at the age of 44, she wrote this song. And she says... She often thinks of her parents' death. They died too early. And it makes her, every time she thinks of her parents, she thinks about heaven and a longing for it. So when she thinks about the people that have gone before her and what, what a great place heaven will be, she says, there's always a stirring in me. And when I hear that as the background for this, I kind of say, yeah, I can see that in this song. I can appreciate that. Stirrings. You ever felt stirrings like that? They're not just religious. There's also there's patriotic stirrings. If you're ever in a crowd of veterans and you appreciate what they've done and you see the flag go up and, uh, and, and we hear a story and we <clears throat> pledge allegiance to that flag, I get that kind of stirring. And sometimes when I, I see a, a scene in a particular movie 
or, or a particular kind of movie that kind of stirs you about different things. And here comes the scene for that, like, Chariots of Fire, some of you remember. Or one like that, Rocky, um, that, that's sort of like that. You have those moments that just inspire you because it resonates with you. It, it I guess you'd say, touches a chord. One of our main values of our life are struck by it. But most often, stirrings come for me in a spiritual sense. A timely sermon can do this, even one that I preach on occasion, you know? One of those songs that we sing that just, for whatever reason, your circumstance in the line hits you at a certain time and it stirs you. And I believe the ingredients are that there is a clear and dramatic reinforcement of a value that you dearly hold and it hits you such a way that there's this stirring in you. That's appropriate for this text because it appears so many times. And you think about this, what does a stirring lead you to do? Some people stand and put a hand over their heart. Some people honor, some people yell or applaud. It may cause you to sit and contemplate deeply. It may lead you to worship or pray. Something happens inside you that's so profound you just can't express it in a normal way. I think about this with baptisms. When you see somebody who puts on Christ, especially someone you know and you care about, or maybe that you've played a role in, in seeing this to this moment, and you see them become a, uh, go down into the water and come back out, and there's just this stirring. And i got to be honest with you, you want to you respond to it in a way that, uh, that just, I don't know, expresses it. And i got to be honest... I, just saying, amen. And you ever notice that people say amen in a deep voice? Why do they do that? I'll hear Paul go, amen. I'm thinking, you never talk like that any other time. Come up to Paul and says, how are you, Spencer? He doesn't do that. He just does that with amen. We say amen, and you gotta, I gotta t can I tell you, that's just not, it's not satisfying to the stirring within me. Maybe it should be. Maybe praise the Lord should. That's why so many people applauded a baptism, because you know what? That makes it feel like I'm really expressing myself, and this feels satisfying, although it doesn't, even that doesn't do it. I mean, I'll applaud when ASU scores a touchdown, that rare moment when it happens. But when, but when somebody is baptized into Christ and the angels of heaven rejoice, there's a stirring, but what do you do with it? Sometimes that's hard to figure. In this particular chapter, it happens a lot. If you're in chapter 35, I want you to turn to verse 21 with me for a second. This is where God allows the people to give to the cost of building the tabernacle. Verse 20, all the congregation of the people of Israel departed from the presence of Moses, and they came, everyone whose heart stirred him, everyone whose spirit moved him, and brought the Lord's contribution to be used for the tent of meeting and for all its services and its holy garments. Verse 22, and so they came, both men and women, all who were of a willing heart, brought all this stuff, lists all these things. Verse 26, all the women whose hearts stirred them to use their skill spun the goat's hair. And finally, verse 29, all the men and women, the people of Israel, whose heart moved them to bring anything for the work of the Lord had that the Lord had commanded by Moses to be done, brought it as a freewill offering to the Lord. Look at how much movement happens in this chapter. Everyone's hearts are stirred. And then I want you to notice one other thing, a chapter next, 36, verse 3. They received from Moses all the contribution that the people of Israel brought for doing the work in the sanctuary. 
they still kept bringing them free will offerings every morning so that all the craftsmen who were doing every sort of task on the sanctuary came, each from the task he was doing, and said to Moses, the people bring much more than enough for doing the work that the Lord has commanded us to do. So Moses gave the command. The word was proclaimed throughout the camp. Let no man or woman do anything more for the contribution of the sanctuary. The people were restrained from bringing. How weird is that? Imagine an eldership standing up for the church. Please quit giving. Can you imagine? Quit giving, it's too much. You ever heard, how many have ever heard that sermon? That's kind of what I thought. Everybody brought so much. Their hearts were stirred. They had an opportunity to give, and they went home, they grabbed every bit of stuff they had, and they brought it up there, and every morning they brought a little more, and they brought a little more, and finally, this is way too much. So what's your question? Anybody have a question about that? What was it that stirred people to give like this? Every elder in the country should have this question. Every church in the country should scour this chapter and go, what's being done here? What did they do here to stir people so much that they gave so much that they said, please don't do it anymore? You got to be wondering. And there are some clues. What stirs the heart of the people of God. Go back into chapter 35. We're going to notice some of these. Look at verses 4 and 5. Moses said to all the congregation of the people of Israel, this is the thing that the Lord has commanded. Take from among you a contribution to the Lord. Whoever is of a generous heart. Notice he didn't say everybody's being taxed. Everybody's got to give. Fill out your little membership form. Turn it in to be committed, right? It's not that. It's anybody who wants to give generously will be given the opportunity. It's a command from God. A command from God. That's why they wanted to give. They wanted to respond to the request of God. Isn't that profound? You're looking at me like, what? You don't look profoundly touched to me. You're looking kind of mystified. I know what you mean. Today we're as likely to take a request or command from God and argue and parse and muddle up and try to figure out how to get out of it or what little can I give to it or do I really have to do this or is there a Greek word I can look at this verse and look at it different and make sure I don't have to give it? These people are at this point so in awe of God that when he makes a request, they consider it an honor to be able to give God something he wants. After all that God's given us and after all the leading he's done, he's gotten us out of slavery and he's led us to this place and he's given us a law and he's given us a relationship. Now he's asking us for something. We have a chance to give God something. We're going to do it. Strange, isn't it? God wants something from us. There's these phrase, phrases in Psalms about bless the Lord, O my soul. You, as a human being, can bless, bless God. Isn't that weird? What can we possibly do that would bless God? So God, after having done all that he's done for the people, now makes a request of something that you can do for him. Why not jump on it? These people, I want you to notice that there's a, there's a little bit of gap. We're going to look at that gap in a minute. But verse 20, all the congregation of the people of Israel departed from the presence of the Lord. They didn't just depart, they dashed. Notice, 
They came, everyone whose heart stirred him, everyone whose spirit moved him, brought to the Lord's contribution to be used to the tent of the meeting and for all its service, for all the holy garments. As soon as he said, you are dismissed to go give your contribution, they ran to their tents, they grabbed everything they could, and they come and they, they're, 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 they're fighting. They're fighting each other. Who can give the, the, the contribution first? This is like going to one cup or church. You want to sit in the front row. I want to be right down and first. If you've ever been at church camp, one of the games we used to play, I don't play it anymore because it got dangerous. It was called scavenger hunt. And they brought everything. They could only use a pillowcase, and they brought everything they had in their cabins. And I said, I'm going to ask for something, and the first team to give it to me gets the points. And you think, what's the big deal with that? It was a big deal. And they had to sit in the stands, and so there were eight or nine or ten stands out here. And if somebody at the very top wanted to give it to me, they would fly over all seven or eight stairs to get me the comb with a piece of chewed gum in it, right? So they get a piece of chewed gum and they chew it up and they put it on the, on the comb and they wanted to be the first one to hand it to me and win the scavenger hunt for that particular thing. These people want to give. And it's not that God needed anything from them. God has everything. The psalmist says, the Lord has a cattle on a thousand hills. He doesn't need anything from you. But God does ask something of us. And what a cool opportunity for the created being to hand to the creator something he wants. It is a privilege. And we sometimes forget this. The Word tells us a lot of times, in fact, the Word spends more time talking about what God has done for us than anything we do for Him, which is why it says, we love God because He first loved us. He was first. He was greater than anything that we'll give Him, but then He turns around and gives us the privilege of participating with Him. So the first thing I want you to notice in this is that God asks something. It says a command from God, it is. God commanded Moses to let them give. But the, the gift that they were to give was completely voluntary. So it was really a request from God. God needed something and his people wanted to provide it. Second clues in verses 10 through 19. Let every skillful craftsman among you come and make all that the Lord has commanded. Come and make this stuff. Here's what the money's for. Here's what your contribution's for. You ready? I want to tell you what we're asking you for. It's not just money they're giving. It's stuff. It's material. But I want you to notice what he says. We are building something. He says, first of all, it's for the tabernacle, verse 11. Now the tent and all it's covering. You know what the tabernacle is? It's where who, God, who lives. Who lives in the tabernacle? God does. This is where God lives as they travel through the wilderness. This is God's house, and so we're going to build God's house with what you're about to give. So they know what they're giving to, and it's covering its hooks, its frames, its bars, its pillars, its bases, the ark. What's in the ark? Does anybody remember? Ten Commandments, right? The Ten Commandments and that law of God is going to be, so we are going to build the ark, and we're going to build it out of what you bring God. It's poles, it's mercy seat. Who sits on the mercy seat? That's where God sits. That's where the blood is put for your atonement. What I'm saying is this whole, this whole paragraph from 10 to 20, he says, here's what we're going to do with it. I want you to know what's going to be, what your contribution is going to be used for. It's going to be allowing God to live among you. It's going to be allowing. 
God to make atonement for your sin. It's going to be allowing God to dwell with us as we journey. And we know from two chapters before, God just about came this close to not going with them at all. They almost discovered what it's like to live without God's presence. And then God relented at their request through Moses and decided, I will live with you through the tabernacle. And they said, you bet you, you bet you we want you to, and we're going to give to this. When we know what we're giving to, we will be very generous people, won't we? It's very hard to do this sometimes when we just say, well, let's just give for the sake of giving. Kind of hard to get motivated by that. But when you got that little Simpson woman going around saying, this is for Lilia's place. Okay, she didn't say it like that, but you know what I mean. This is for kids in the Philippines who wouldn't have anything if it weren't for Lilia's place, giving them a place to stay. And then Christmas wouldn't mean anything without a little extra to be able to provide it. And you say that to some Valley View people, and there's a stirring deep within. That's right, there is. You might go with a children's home or a foster parent, foster kids, and say, we want to give toward their Christmas, and here comes the money from, from, from y'all. It's like when you give me a reason for it, when you give me something to shoot for, when you tell me what it's going to, I'll give. And that's the way these people were. When you give them a reason, show them what you're building, show them what you're doing. Do you know what you give for? And that's why I'm telling the elders, this last week they decided this. We have enough money because of the generosity and the, and, and the making the budget and going beyond that to be able to give to more of the Bear Valley Institute's foreign preaching training places. One more in Nigeria. We've got one in Myanmar and one other in Nigeria. Now there's another one in, and there's one other. I can't remember the country. Kenya, thank you, in Kenya. So there's some more that's going out that's going to support them for a number of years. And out of Valley View, out of the money that you put in with your check that says Jonesboro, Arkansas, or your cash or whatever you do, that money goes out and there's people hearing the gospel in other parts of the world. Does that kind of move you? Does that stir anybody at all? Does that just like say, man, I'm willing to give when you're talking about that. I'm not talking about stuff here all the time. There are some people in this world who are now going to hear the message that you enjoy and appreciate and that matters so much to you, it drives you here every time. And there's going to be people who hear it because you gave. I'm not going to apologize for the church passing that plate around every Sunday. It's a part of worship, but it's more than that. You get a chance to support that van, that bus, that chariot going across Africa in the middle of some village you will never go to You'll never be able to speak to anybody from, but they will hear the gospel because you gave a little money over here and it goes over there and the gospel is preached and they get a chance to be part of the same kingdom you're in. That doesn't stir you. I really don't know what can do it. And these people know What's at stake? And so, first of all, he says, this is something God asked you to do. Well, okay, I, you count me in. God's asking me to do something. But secondly, this is going for something that matters to you. It keeps God in your midst in that tabernacle, and it keeps your sins atoned for. Oh, give to that. And these people give until Moses has to say, okay, enough, enough. I see another hint in verse 20 and 22. Then all the congregation of the people of Israel departed from the presence of Moses. 
And they came, everyone whose heart stirred him and everyone whose spirit moved him and brought, uh, brought the Lord's contribution to be used for the tent of meeting and for all its service for the holy garments. They came, both men and women, all who were of a willing heart, brought brooches. I don't even know what that is. I used to think that was britches, and I'm thinking, what do you need pants for, right? Earrings, signet rings, armlets, all sorts of gold objects, every man dedicating an offering of gold to the Lord. And so all these people brought their gold jewelry. Do you know the history of this gold jewelry? Where did the gold jewelry come from? Egyptians, right? And it wasn't any accident why it happened. God told them before they go, listen, I'm going to move their heart and they're going to be generous. You ask for whatever you want. And in fact, you don't even have to ask. As you leave, the people of Egypt are going to just, just, just shower on you all sorts of gold jewelry. And they start wearing gold jewelry through the wilderness. That I do not understand. Start a journey and I'm going to clank all the way through the wilderness. I do not understand any of that. But the first thing they did with it, does anybody remember? They made a golden calf. This gold that God had blessed them with as they came out of Egypt, as the people of Egypt were so generous with them as they left, and they take that gold and they think, hey, let's build something that leads us astray. God was so furious, nearly jeopardized the entire transaction. But then it talks about their repentance, and the repentance is they took off the jewelry, and it says they never wore it ever again. So they had these jewelry boxes they were carrying through the wilderness, or gonna. They haven't really left through the wilderness yet. They're at the Mount Sinai right here. But they have this box of jewelry. Can you imagine for the next 40 years they're going to be hauling around this useless jewelry? And they get to thinking. They get to thinking that's valuable, that's that's something that can be used. So let's take this that led us astray. Let's take this stuff that led us astray and this stuff that became a representation of our repentance. Let's take it and lay it at God's feet. It can no longer be the root of all evil. It cannot lead us astray if we hand it back over to God. If this money that is the root of so much that ties us to this world is going to root us here to where giving a little bit to God saying so big to us if you want to set yourself free from the love of money to take you to hell give it to God that's what they decide to do you want to set yourself free from it just hand it over to him and let him do with it what pleases him they're able to they're able to take this stuff that was so tempting to them and give it to God for something good. Now I want you to look at Exodus chapter 3, verse 21. This, remember, is way before the plagues. This was when God was calling Moses to take the job. And Moses was arguing with him. You remember all that? And this is what God says. I will make the Egyptians favorably disposed toward you people, this people, so that when you leave, you won't go empty-handed. Where did it come from in the first place? God. It came from God in the first place. Now let me, this is very important you get this right. This is a hard question. Where did every bit of your money come from? Same place. So when you give, you're giving back what already belonged to him in the first place. And he just says, you know what? I, I just want to give you a chance to, to be generous. When the Lord's Supper goes around, it's been a particularly... A strange week for me, like in the sense of I've just been very sensitive to the fact that I've failed a lot. The Lord's Supper means a little more to me on those weeks than the weeks that maybe I, I didn't recognize that as much. 
when I'm, I've done wrong or when I've just not been who I need to be, worship means a little bit more. Now, maybe, maybe that's overstating it. But I think that offering is for this, is when we get really close to being too rooted on the earth and money becomes a little too important to us, that's when the offering matters the most. When it's like, you know, making this check out for a hundred bucks sounds like way too much when we would drop that much without thinking to something else. And when that starts to feel like it's too much and you start going, well, does I really need to give? When you start answering yourself that way and debating with yourself, that's when giving's the most important. So God gave it to them and they're going to give some of it back. Finally, it wasn't just about money. I want you to look at down at verse 24 with me. It wasn't just about dollars and cents. You really couldn't collect a big old offering in the, at Mount Sinai and go to the dry goods store at the foot of Mount Sinai and buy a bunch of stuff, right? I mean, there's not like stores out there in the wilderness. So what you made the stuff out of is really what you needed as the donation. But you also needed people who could sew and who could hammer and who knew how to put this on top of this how to put poles here and how to sand you need to do all that stuff so verse 24 everyone who could make a contribution of silver or bronze brought it as the Lord's contribution and everyone who possessed acacia wood or uh, of any use in the work brought it and every skillful woman spun with her hands and they brought what they could what they had spun in blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twine linen all the women whose hearts stirred them to use their skill spun the goat's hair how many women in here could spin goat's hair Apparently, they had a few back then, and they decided, you know what, uh, maybe I can give money, but I really want to give my talent. I want to put my time into this because I want to know that when I go to that tabernacle, I've done something to make it possible. It wasn't just about money. It was about skills and time and effort. In the New Testament, there's this interesting word used to describe the Christian giving. It's the word koinonia, and that doesn't seem to fit. You may know what koinonia means. It's a word that means fellowship. And you think, what does money have to do with fellowship? A lot. It is a participation with another person. I participate with Gary James and David Sluter and Wesley. And I participate with Benita Fields. And we put money together and we send it off to some place. That is a participation. And we're giving it to somebody over in another country. And they're using it uh, as a transaction to, to be able to make gasoline to put in these chariots to go around. And that's called participate. We're all sharing together in one common goal. It's fellowship. Giving is a participation. And I don't want to sound negative here. And I don't want you to take this the wrong way. But it's awful easy to celebrate our generosity and give to something, but sometimes it requires a personal investment, rolling up your sleeves and giving your time. And one of the things that makes you love Pakistan so much is we're not just writing a check. We're driving up to the church building. We're putting those sacks in our car. We're going with other people to people's houses and we're dropping it off a service project that requires more than dollars and cents. It requires people giving time, driving around, and being generous. We give tens of thousands to mission efforts every year 
And that should be a source of incredible pride to every Valley View member. And the more you know, the more grateful you'll become. And we hope to tell you in the coming year a little more intentionally and have it be in our prayers to come out in our words as we pray for these efforts. But when someone is moving and needs a group of people to come and load boxes and unload boxes, that's important too. It may not cost you anything but time and a little muscle and a little bit of energy. We need to be involved in that too. And while we need to be, give, be generous in giving to children's homes and foster care stuff, money doesn't raise kids. People raise kids. And it takes people to invest their time and energy and having kids in their home to raise them when they don't have parents. Be very careful that we don't write a check as a substitute for our own personal involvement. That can happen with a church. I love... Uh, growing up in Fredericktown, Missouri, we had potluck meals and everybody brought their own dish and whatever it was. Most of it was unrecognizable, which made it a scary proposition for anybody who actually stuck a spoon in that casserole. But we've now come to a time where we buy everything. And that misses out on something. And so be very careful. And I'm not saying we can't buy and cater for a church potluck. I'm not saying anything. I love that. And, and my favorite thing is to look for a box of KFC, the old-fashioned box. It was real tall and had 40 pieces in it. Remember those? I love all that, but the idea where we personally invested in a creation of our own, we brought it together and shared it with something. And I appreciate like when the Fits open up their home and have all these college students wall-to-wall -wall at personal cost. And listen, when you do these things... Don't always accept the church's support for it. Sometimes absorb the cost to it. That's part of this generosity and this stirred heart. You believe in the youth work so much that it's going to cost you a little bit to have a devotional at your house. Absorb that. Now, if you can't, if you can't, we'll take care of that. But if you can, do it. It shows a generous heart and you're stirring up that God is stirring up in you. What is so indicative of faith is when an action comes from a stirred heart, no matter what the cost of it was. I'd like to think that we could be stirred in that direction. I'd like to think that when God's people know that God wants something from them, it stirs them to give back to God. I'd like to think that when God's people know where the money goes to and what they're supporting, the worthwhile kingdom things, it's hard not to be generous and kind when your heart is stirred. I'd like to think that when we ponder what God has done for us and how giving is actually an act of faith that protects us from the love of money, we participate. And I would like to think that we love the idea that we're joining with other people in a cause that's bigger than ourselves. And all these things stir us. Now, this was not a sermon requested by the elders. I knew I'd have somebody say, well, the elders made you talk about that, didn't they? Nope. Nope. It's not a request to the elders. And it's not because of a shortfall in the budget either. It's not because we are not doing well or not being generous enough or we're not supporting causes that we should. None of that's true. This is not about need. This is about being at Exodus chapter 35 in an expository series on Exodus. It's about looking at how our Old Testament brothers and sisters, while they were camping out at the base of the Mount of Sinai, they're sitting there in the middle of the wilderness and God says, I need something from you, and they are overly generous. 
and how that we are comfortably settled in our homes in Jonesboro, Arkansas, and various other areas around here, and we have it so good, and God is asking us to be that generous. And that when God asks, if we're still God's people, if we know what we're doing, if we know what's happening, and we are the children of God, our hearts will be stirred. If they are not, it's more an indication not of the truth, but of the level of our commitment. And I would say this because of the way Valley View has been. There are people here with stirred up hearts. And I'm grateful for that. And may you live like it all the time, not just in this thing called giving, but in your life. Your obedient life is also a response of a stirred heart to all that God has done for us. And this evening, you've been reminded of what all God's done and what a privilege it is to be his children and to respond to him. If there's anyone here who God is moving your heart by the truth to respond to him for the first time, you've never responded before. Now's a great time to do it and put on Christ right here this night at this place and this time. May our obedient lives be fueled by a stirring deep within us. And if anyone is stirred in such a way that you want to respond to the gospel tonight, we stand ready to receive you as we stand and as we sing. In Christ alone my hope is found. He is my light, my strength, my song. This cornerstone